If you want to find Colossians 1, verses 24 to 29, um, I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. I'll read that, I'll pray, and then we'll get straight into it. So here we go. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for that we get to gather here this morning and we can sing songs of what you've done for us. We can sing of your grace. We can sing in how, uh, of how you've Come to make yourself known to us, how you reached down to us and found us in all our weakness, in all our nonsense. You've rescued us, you've saved us, and we get to enjoy that, and we're so thankful for that. But as well, we want to we take that to our city. We don't want to keep it to ourselves, but we believe you've called us here for a reason, for a purpose. We're not here by accident. There's a plan that you're working out that we're part of. And we want to serve you in that, God. And we pray, just as we explore some of that this morning, we pray you'd speak to us. You'd make your word come alive in our hearts. You'd make your, your mission, your vision speak to us powerfully, God, we pray. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just uh, open the eyes of our hearts this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, what we're going to do this morning is uh, we're going to talk about our urban mission. We're talking about the pain of urban mission, the method of urban mission, and we'll spend most of our time on those first two points, and then the second two we may or may not get to. We're going to see how we're doing for time, but hopefully we'll all hold together. Then the message of urban mission, the goal of urban mission. I've got lots of slides, so you'll enjoy that. Good. Not like holiday snaps, so it's okay. So first of all, the, the city we live in, let me just start by talking about that a little bit. Uh, there are kind of three distinctives. We've lived here for just over two years. Me, uh, if I'm Matt, by the way, if you've not met me before, Joe, my wife, we've got four daughters. We moved here in July 2014 to start this church. That's why we moved here. Um, and one of the first things we did, or what I've been doing ever since really, is trying to learn as much about this city as we can. Learn about what are the people like in this city? What makes this city tick? What are some of the distinctives of it? And three things really stick out. First of all, it's an influential city. It has been for centuries and centuries, and even still now, it's an influential city in that it influences what happens here in the rest of this nation. This is like kind of the heart where everything sort of pumps out of here. What happens in Amsterdam affects the rest of this country around us, and even beyond that as well. You know, what starts here kind of flows out from here. People will talk about cities like this kind of being upstream. 
you know, up, upstream, that's where everything comes from. If you kind of pollute the water up the stream, it affects everything that follows down. Even as the river kind of grows wider and goes out to the sea, what, you, what happens upstream affects everything else. Before, just before I moved here, I met with two Dutch pastors who minister elsewhere in, in Holland. Um, we're talking to them about what we were planning to do. And they said to me, if a move of God was going to start in the Netherlands, it would start in Amsterdam. Because Amsterdam is where things kind of flow from. What happens here affects things. It's an influential city. Obviously, it's also a really international city. Even here amongst us, we're very much an international community. Uh, but that's not an oddity. We reflect something of the city we live in. There's 180 different nations represented in, in Amsterdam. Um, it's one of the most diverse, if not the most diverse cities on the planet. So only, only about 50% of people are ethnically Dutch. The other 50% are from all over the place. Um, and one thing that's unique is you get cities that are international, but normally they'd be for one reason. They'd be for lots of refugees have ended up there, uh, like cities in, in maybe somewhere like Turkey would be like that at the moment. Uh, or you get cities that are a big kind of trading business centres, so lots of internationals are ended up there to do business. Um, uh, somewhere like Dubai would be a little bit like that. But our city is, there's lots of people from all over the world here for loads of different reasons. It's just incredibly diverse. There are people here that are refugees, but there are also many people here that are here to study, they're here for work, they're here just because this is the sort of city they, they just want to be in. People just move here to pursue their dreams, their desires. This is just a, a kind of like a magnet. It just draws people to it. And because it's influential, because it's international, um, it, it, in some ways it's a lot more similar to somewhere like Berlin than it would be to Utrecht, even though Utrecht's 20 minutes down the road. It's more similar to London than it is to a village 10 kilometres away. It's the sort, the sort of people that are here, what they believe, what they value, they're kind of the worldview that they have, what they think is much, more diff, much similar to kind of other international cities, Paris, Berlin, London, Rome, New York, than it is to places even just a few miles down the road. And then finally, uh, it's a liberal, it's a secular city. One of the books I read before we moved, uh, if you want a kind of introductory book, uh, that tells you a bit of the history about this city. And there's a book written by a guy called Russell Shorto who, who writes uh, a, a, about the city. It's kind of a hist- like a social history of Amsterdam. It's a brilliant book to read. Some of his values are a bit odd, but the book itself is excellent. And he said this about it. He says, Amsterdam is by most accounts the most liberal place on earth. That's his argument. That Amsterdam, I think we were talking about it even last week, uh, for, for centuries ago, Amsterdam was one of the first places you could come to where you could find freedom of religion. One of the first places in the world where anybody could come and worship whatever their beliefs. Uh, even after the Reformation, uh, when the city kind of switched from being Catholic to Protestant, whereas in lots of other places the Catholics were persecuted ruthlessly, here they did a few things to kind of make a show about it, and then they let them carry on practicing as long as they didn't really tell anybody. They allowed it to, to continue happening. And this city has always had a kind of freedom of religion, but that's kind of progressed in recent years where now it's, no more, it's not so much about having freedom of religion, but a freedom from religion. It's become a really secular city where really uh, the, what people come here to do is to be free from controlling things like that. They don't want religion. They don't want people telling them 
what to do. And for many, and that means it's a very difficult place to come and plant churches. So someone said to me when we first arrived, he said, ah, welcome to the graveyard of church plants. This is where churches come to die, which is a kind of a wonderful introduction to the city. But in, in many ways, he, he, he wasn't just trying to scare me. He had, a, he had a point. That happens in this city lots of times. Lots of churches die. Lots of churches don't get very far, which is sad. But when you're in a city where maybe only 1% or 2% of people would go to church and the other 98 99% aren't really interested, then church planting is tricky. Um, so first of all, let's talk about the pain of urban mission. Because Paul right here in this passage, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Sounds very morbid. For this I toil, he says at the end of that passage, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And the thing is that mission is, was never supposed to be easy. Any idea that mission is an easy thing, any idea that even just being a Christian living for Jesus is easy and fun it's, it's kind of not really you've not really read the Bible you've not really read the New Testament if that's what you think and if you read the story of the New Testament if you read even what Jesus is calling them his disciples to you know in John 1 he calls Philip and Nathaniel and, and the kind of the message is just come and see but then as, as the book of John goes on you realise it's much more than that it's not just a message of come and see it's a message of come and die he's asking them to make a real sacrifice and Jesus himself lived obviously a life of sacrifice you know Jesus 12 disciples we don't know for sure but we're pretty sure historians are pretty sure that they all they were all martyred that they all died for what they believed and for the early church that was kind of part of the deal for Paul he couldn't understand mission outside of the context of suffering that's how he understood Mission. So uh, it says here, this is him talking in, in Acts 20. He says, uh, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and inflictions await me. Which is a fascinating thing to say. So he's saying, you know, if he's saying that God's spoken to him, which is great. You know, we all want God to speak to us, but we don't really want God to say that. Oh, the Holy Spirit came and spoke to me and told me that I was going to be put in prison and that afflictions awaited me. But that was his expectation as he went from city to city. He expected to be persecuted, which partly that's just based on his experience. It's based on the Holy Spirit talking to him. But more than anything, it's based on the fact that he understood what it means to have union with Christ. To be a follower of Jesus is to be united with Christ. The gospel that we believe, this wonderful message of Jesus, is something that, uh, that kind of springs alive in our hearts. And if we've understood who Jesus is, then two things will happen. First of all, there's whatever God has put in us, we'll, without us even wanting it to, it will spread. All right, you might have noticed this, but if if what Jesus has done in your life is real, then whether you like it or not, people around you will notice. The gospel just has this default position where it's designed to spread. It's designed to affect other people. It's like a virus. It's supposed to be contagious. And sometimes, as Christians, we can feel the opposite. We can feel like nobody notices, nobody what's going on. But the, the reality is, is that people around us are seeing that there's something different about us. What Jesus has done in us is designed to spread. 
But then that also means that it's kind of designed to receive opposition because it stands against everything that the world believes. The gospel's offensive. People don't like to hear it. Some of the values that we believe, people in our city are going to be offensive to people. People aren't going to particularly enjoy sometimes what we have to say. And Paul understood that. Paul understood that there was pain in mission. And there's, there's pain in our city as well. Um, this is a, a guy called Michael Herbst, who's a German. And he wrote this about uh, Berlin, but it's very true of Amsterdam as well. He, he, he had this idea that uh, cities like this, we might call it like an atheist city, as in people here don't believe God, any God. They don't believe in any God. If you don't believe in a God, you're an atheist. But he made the point that to be an atheist, you have to decide not to believe something. To, to not believe in God, you have to make a decision. For these reasons, I don't believe God exists. But for most people in our city, they've never thought like that at all. Because they've never been confronted with Christianity. Not in a real, tangible way. They've never been on the, on the journey of what do I actually believe. So as he says, many people are, are post-atheists. So post-atheists are beyond atheism. Religion and the contest, you know, the, the argument over whether it's true, the contest of religion are no longer an issue. And then he says, with post-atheism in mind, we're on the brink of a missionary zero-point position. So saying, we're at rock bottom. <laughs> Right, you can't get any lower than that. If, if at least if people uh, maybe uh, are thinking it through, you can have an opportunity to argue with them. They might understand it. But he says, what does it mean to bridge the gap and to contextualise? That means to communicate in a language that people would understand the gospel when the words sound as alien as the Lord of the Rings for those who are not familiar with with Tolkien. So if you've not read Lord of the Rings, if I started singing one of the songs of Tom Bombadil, you'd think I was completely mental. And um, even if you've read the book, it is a bit mental. You know, he doesn't even make it in the films because Tom Bombadil's so crazy. But there's, you know, if I started speaking like Gollum or whatever and you'd not watched the movies, you'd think I was a lunatic. But that's the same for many people in our city. What we believe is just, they just don't get it. It just doesn't work because they've never been exposed to it. So we found... You know, people will often ask me, um, why, why are you here in this, this city? You know, why have you moved here? You're English, what are you doing here? Uh, and I'll, I'll explain and I'll say, well, we, we came here to start a church. And people will look at me with just confusion. And people will say bizarre things like, so you're, you're an architect. You, you've come here to literally build a building. I said, no, 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 that's not, that's not what I mean when I say start a church. And people will ask all sorts of bizarre questions. We had one lady from, one of the mums from the kids' school, who just, she just didn't believe me. Just flat out refused to believe. That why would anybody do that? The church is dead. So she, I, I said, oh, I'm here to start a church. And she just said, no, you're not. I said, no, 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 I am, really. And she said, no, you're not. I said, no, seriously, third time. No, seriously, I am. And she said, no, but, but why? Well, why could you be? It doesn't make any sense. She literally said it. She couldn't understand and for most people that we talk to, that's where they come from. They've just got no context to put it in. It's just this whole bizarre idea. A friend of mine, Herko Templeman, he, he wrote a paper on, on church planting in Amsterdam. And this is one of the conclusions he came up with. He said the suggestion that Christianity might be relevant for a secular person is a foreign idea to the Dutch mindset. 
It's just, it's just an alien concept that for many people they just can't understand. It just doesn't make any sense to them. So this is kind of the context that we're in. And you might think, hold on a second, I'm not a missionary anyway, so, you know, who cares, right? This is your problem or someone else's problem. But the thing is that Jesus said this. He said, this is in John 17, which is a remarkable chapter of the Bible where you get a glimpse of Jesus praying to his father. We get to kind of look in on Jesus' prayer life. And he's, the remarkable thing is he prays for us and he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And you m- might think, no, 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 he's just talking about his disciples. But then he says, I will not ask for these only. In talking about it, he says, I will not ask only for my disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me. And I knew that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he's not just praying for his disciples or the early church. He's praying for everybody throughout history who's going to follow in that journey. He's saying all, all of us as believers, we're all sent as missionaries to this world. There's no excuse. We can't say, oh, that's just for some people. We can't say, oh, that's just mission. To be a missionary, is, that's just for people who sign up to a missionary organization and move to a different country. No, we're called to be missionaries right where we are in our context. All of us. There's no excuse don't try and get out of it because Jesus said he sent us. He sent us. That's what we're supposed to do. And that can be a scary thing when you consider our city and all the difficulties and pains and everything that confronts us. And there's a real sense of hostility in our city. But there's also hunger as well. Right? Because if, for a city that really, if it is this kind of post-atheist thing that I'm talking about, that's a good thing as well as a bad thing. So you'll notice when, when you walk in here, it uh, depends which way you came in, but if you came through the main entrance, the other side, there's a kind of a Buddha that greets you, just sitting there. Often when we arrive in here, there's a Buddha just sitting there. Hi, what, what are you doing here? How did you get here? He just kind of comes and sits around. And we can either think that's, oh no, that's an evil thing, what do we do about it? Or we can see actually that it's, it's there for a reason. Because a friend of mine described it like this. He's another pastor in the city. He said there are people in this city that are effectively, they're like, he used the phrase, secular mystics. They're secular people, but they've realized that secularism, that living without God, doesn't satisfy. It doesn't. They're looking for something else. So people have Buddhas, and you know, some of our neighbors have little Buddhas, and they put them on their windowsill and things like that. One of our neighbors, they're children she was a complete atheist doesn't believe in God at all um, doesn't believe in anything like that it's all just weird to her but her two daughters were ill so she took them to a faith healer and she's like well I might as well give it a try people are searching for something people are looking for something they realize that their secular life doesn't quite hit the mark and they might they may search in here they may search for some kind of encounter some try and find themselves trying to discover themselves but actually, we have a wonderful opportunity to say, no, there is, there is something more to life. You won't actually find it in here, but there is something more. We'll find that as well as there being hostility, we'll find there's lots of hunger as well. So moving on, let's talk about the method of urban mission. What does urban mission look like? How do we do it? And let me just be I'll straight up. This is my kind of argument. This is what I'm going to 
uh, uh, put to you guys. This is a quote from a guy called David Devonish, who wrote a book called What on Earth is the Church For? If you want a book about the church, it's just far and away the best thing you'll read. And he said this, this is why the church is in the world. For mission, that, that was his conclusion. That's why the church is here, the people of God, not just like the churches in the broad church all across the world, but even individual local communities like us here for mission. A mission to bring about the rule of God in the world, to start communities of God's people from all backgrounds in every people group, to serve the world through social action and in their everyday employment and to extend this to every people group on earth. That sounds exciting, right? <laughs> That's what the church is supposed to be about. He went on to say this. He really kind of distilled it. He said, what on earth is the church for? It exists for mission. And then you want to say, what is mission for? Mission exists in order to bring glory to God. Right? That's why we're here. If you want to put those two things together, we're here obviously as a community, God's new temple. We're here to worship God, but we're also here to call other worshipers in. We're called to bring other people into worship, other people into relationship with God. And a great way to see that is from uh, Luke. Um, Let me just read this. This is from Luke chapter 4. This is talking about Jesus. He says, And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, his hometown. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And it's, uh, this is like sort of Jesus kind of mic drop moment. Right? He walks into the synagogue because what he does is he, he, he doesn't read the whole passage. If we just go back a slide, it actually goes on to say, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. But he just misses out that bit. Because this, these few verses, for the Jews, this was like their battle cry. Like, this was their great hope. They're in this, they're, the, the Romans have persecuted their nation. They're, they're allowed to worship, but their nation isn't theirs. It belongs to the Romans. They're an oppressed people. They're waiting for their Messiah to come, their Savior. They're waiting for this great moment when they can march into Jerusalem, throw away all the enemy, and take over. They want their day of vengeance and Jesus doesn't include that bit. He just wipes it out. So that's why it says all, their eyes are, all the eyes are fixed on him because they're like, wait a minute, he's just, he's just rolled it up halfway through the verse. What's he going to say next? What's he going to do? And then Jesus does this. He goes on to talk about how a prophet isn't honored in his own town and they're all getting a bit confused. And then he says this, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. 
what, what Jesus is kind of saying here is that Jesus is, is taking their mission, the kind of the view that the Jews had, that they were this special chosen people, and he just blows that all out of the water and says, no, we're actually here for something so much bigger. He said, it's not even just that I might not be honored in my hometown, but for all of us, we're not here just for our nation, for our people, for our special people group. Jesus is like pronouncing his manifesto. I'm here to proclaim liberty. I'm here to set people free. And that's not just about us. That's just much wider and bigger. So he paints this huge picture of this kind of global mission, which the thing is, it's not a new thing because it says in, in Genesis, uh, this is God talking to Abraham right at the start of the Bible. and says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, Paul interprets that in Galatians. He says, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that is the non-Jewish by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So the people of God should have always been carrying this promise that the people of God were there for something bigger than just their nation and their people group. That God wanted to expand it to include all the families of the earth. The Welsh, the English, the Dutch, the Americans, the Australians, all of us from all people group, all nationality, all background. But they'd forgotten that. And Jesus comes to set that alight again. And this Jesus manifesto is ours as well. This is our calling too. We're called to that all the families of the earth shall be blessed, whatever that looks like here in our city. The wonderful thing is there's 180 different nations in our city, so we don't have to go very far to bless all the nations of the earth. We get to do it right here on our doorstep. It's an amazing opportunity that we have. And you might think, oh, this isn't for me, but we remember John 17, 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is our mission. And that's exactly what Jesus said at the Great Commission. He said, right, go and make disciples. That was his kind of final instructions to his, to his disciples. It wasn't go and run away and hide. Things are about to get a bit tricky, which they were. He said, go and make disciples. Now you, you need to go. And what the disciples did is they took this early mission and they planted churches. <laughs> that's how they responded. God had said, go and make disciples. And they thought, well, what does that look like? Well, let's just start churches. And that's the book of Acts. You get this wonderful account of how they just start starting churches. And that's very much what the church is for. That's what the church is supposed to do. A few quotes for you. It's a, 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 a missiologist from America, a missiologist by someone who studies mission. He says, the church is one of the few organizations in the world that does not exist for the benefit of its members. Sorry about that. Just to put you... Just to annoy you there. It doesn't, doesn't exist for us. It exists for the people around us. This is uh, Stefan Puss. He's another missiologist who actually lives here in Amsterdam. He said the church is a missionary inviting, recruiting church, or she's no church at all. This is from Bill Hybels. I love this quote. It says, nothing on earth has greater potential to change lives, carry out his kingdom work in your community than your local church. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing else even comes close. And, and that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be this community that is sent into our context to bless and love our city, just as they were in the book of Acts. So I've got a question for you. What, what could we do? 
in the next 30 years? It's a big question, I know. But that's, that's the story of the book of Acts is, is basically lasted about 30 years, something like that. And in that time, the, the apostle Paul alone was involved in planting at least 14 churches. Okay. And you might think, wow, that's, that's a bit crazy. You know, things are a bit different back then, but they're not. It's the same God. That's what, if you read the book of Acts, the wonderful thing about the story is they're all really ordinary people. <laughs> they're all just regular guys. You know, Paul has this terrible history of what he was like before he became a Christian. You've got Peter, who was just this kind of nutjob disciple who didn't understand at all what Jesus was talking about. Even denies Jesus at the point of his crucifixion, yet all of a sudden he's leading this mighty church in Jerusalem. There's, there's something that, that God takes ordinary people, just like us, just like them in the book of Acts, and can do extraordinary things. So you might think, I mean, for me, I'm 35 years old, so in 30 years' time, I'll be 65, which is kind of retirement age. Maybe I'll get another 15, 20 years after that. So I've got like a book of Acts and a half left in me, right? <laughs> what could I do? You know, some of you guys might be near a sort of 20 years old, and then you've got, I don't know, maybe two and a half book of Acts left in you. Ellie, you might have three, because you're only 10 years old. What, what could we do in that time, right? You know, what could we do in, in 30 years? As a, as a church, even here in this city, you might think, well, I'm only here for a year. Well, I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> maybe God wants you to be here longer than that. Yeah. Yeah? Because what, what the wonderful thing that churches can bring, which sounds a bit boring, but is incredibly important, that churches can bring a beautiful stability. Because people can just come and put their roots down and can come and raise their families and go about their work and their jobs and their careers. And they can just bring this beautiful stability. We don't really need just lots of people coming and going all the time. They, they can be a blessing uh, for sure. But what we really need is people who just say, I'm going to commit my life and maybe God in five years' time, two years' time, 20 years' time, maybe God will say, right, time, I'm going to move you on somewhere else. But for some of us, it might be that what God wants us to do is to be here for the next 30 years and see what God might do in a city in 30 years. For me, I don't know, maybe God will lead us on earlier, but I want to have that mentality in my heart. I'm going to be here for 30 years, unless God says otherwise. I'm going to be here for 30 years. We're going to put our roots down here. And we're going to see what happens. See what God does. That's not a bad way to live, is it? We, were, we, were, we had a, a prayer meeting on Tuesday night. And uh, Lottie was, was praying. And she reminded me of a... She was praying about a, a street in Bedford, which is where I grew up. And Lottie lived not far away. Me and Lottie went to the same school, weirdly enough. We didn't know each other, but there you go. And then we ended up in a church uh, 30 years later. But we were in the same school. And there's this street in Bedford... Um, which is like a, an avenue, isn't it? it's a long street, it's got trees all the way down. But it's the sort of street that the trees are so close to the road that every few years they have to resurface the road because the roots of the trees keep, keep like breaking up the surface of the road. Uh, and they don't want to cut the trees down because that's bad, you don't want to cut trees down. So they keep just resurfacing the road and every few years the roots kind of mess it up again and they just resurface the road again and again and again. And that's the wonderful thing, when you put roots down when you put stability in uh, after a while it might feel like at first you're, you're not really you know for us as a church we might feel at first we're not really having much of an impact and we're not you know we, we're just we're early days um, and to be honest the more when you plant a seed more goes down before anything shoots up um, but after a while things do begin to blossom and things begin to appear above the ground 
But at the same time, the roots are still at work. The roots kind of get into the fabric of the city. And then little by little, it's not only that this tree emerges out the top, but the roots themselves begin to break things up, begin to disrupt things. You know, so for our street with our, with our neighbours, you know, at the kids' school, um, little by little, you see moments where you can see God's beginning to break, th- God's beginning to disrupt things in the lives of people around us. God's beginning to give, even though, you know, two years it's taken us, but little by little, we're getting opportunities to share with people about what we believe. To offer to, so um, this week, Joe got to offer to pray for a mum at the school gate. And just little opportunities like that. And you see God just beginning to, to be at work. But it takes a long time. Particularly in cities like this, it takes a while. We have to commit to it. We have to bring a sense of stability. Now, what does it, what does it look like for us in our... I've got lots more to say, but I'm going to just say this last bit. And then we're going to stop and uh, we're going to pray. Um, but what does it mean for us? Well, if we... Just go back to uh, Luke chapter 4, which we read earlier. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. If you want to know why we're called Liberty Church, then this is a pretty good reason why. Because that's what the church is supposed to do, to proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim liberty to captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Like if the church doesn't do that, I don't know what the church is doing. This is what we're supposed to do. This is what we're called to do. It says this in Jude. It says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. We have this wonderful opportunity to show liberty to a city that really needs to see it. A city that, we, and we talk about this all the time, but a city that pursues freedom but doesn't find it. All it finds is people get locked up more and more in their sin. They get locked up more and more in their brokenness. And they're searching all the time of, I want to be who I want. I want to do what I want. I want to live how I want. But the more they pursue that, the more it doesn't work. The more they just get locked up in all their mess. And we say, no, we've got liberty. We've got freedom. We have this beautiful message that we can offer. And secondly, we, we get in a city of 180 nations. We've got this wonderful opportunity. This is a quote by a guy called Roger Greenway. He said, through worldwide migration to the city, God may be setting the stage for Christian missions, greatest and perhaps final hour. We have this wonderful opportunity where you've got uh, uh, people, you know, 70,000 Moroccans in the city, 40,000 Turkish people, lots of people from, from nations where you're either not allowed to talk about Jesus or this, in, in, in the nation of Morocco, there's 30 million people, there's 3,000 Christians. So um, most people have no concept of the gospel whatsoever. That the fact there's, there's even anything other than Islam that even exists, people just don't know it. It's a closed nation. Whereas suddenly they come into this kind of pluralistic, by that I mean you can talk about whatever you want, this kind of Western setting, and all of a sudden we can expose them to what we believe. (laughs) For Moroccans, for Turks, for people all over the world that are flocking to our city, from all sorts of nations where there's no idea of what Jesus is and what he's done, and they come here and we can set a fire in people's hearts. And maybe we could see people go back to their own nations and start a whole new bunch of churches right from here. 
As I said earlier, we, we don't need to go anymore, anywhere anymore to bless all the nations of the earth because they've all come here to our city. And we can do something here that could go out from here and have great effects and influence. We get this opportunity to kind of gather people here on a Sunday and then scatter out into the city and to bless this city. Uh, and uh, people will ask me, you know, what sort of church are you? Are you, uh, are you like a, an international church? Are you an English-speaking church? Are you a Dutch-speaking church? And I say, we're kind of none of those things, all right? We speak English at the moment, obviously, you can tell. Um, and some of us speak very bad Dutch. Some of us speak excellent Dutch. But we're, we're really, a, at the moment, we're an English-speaking church. But we don't want to be that. We, we want to be really a, a multi-language, multi-ethnic church, because if we weren't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't really be being true to the city that we're in, right? So for, for maybe here in the centre of the city, the best way to reach the city may well be English. Uh, before we moved, a friend of mine, he'd considered sending his daughter here to university from England. So he came over with her and spent a day here. He met with a professor from one of the universities. And uh, he's, a, he's a church leader as well in England and... He, he just asked this guy, I don't know why, he just asked him. He said, if someone was to plant a church here, what, uh, what language would the church be to reach this city? And this Dutch professor in a Dutch university, secular, unbelieving man, said, oh, of course you do it in English. It'd be the best way to reach this city. So for something here, century, that might be the best plan. But there'd be other parts of the city where really, if you really want to change people's lives, you've got to speak the language of people's hearts. So it might be some parts of the city that Dutch is going to be the best language. It might be other parts of this city that yeah, <laughs> might be other parts of this city that it might be Turkish or Arabic that's going to be the best way to really get into people's hearts. And we need to carry that thing of, what, of not just kind of being rigid of, well, this is just what we do, but thinking, what's the best way to bless our city? How can we love our city? Well, there's lots more to say on the kind of the message of mission, the goal of mission, but I'm just going to skip ahead to the end because we've been talking for a while no not that one that one so what next for us uh, well we've got some opportunity here to to first of all give just financially we just we need money to make this all happen <laughs> you know we could pretend it's not we could pretend it all just kind of magically happens but to mission costs money so we need people to give into the mission of the church to serve on a sunday get involved in kids work or whatever it is um, get involved in community life, uh, join a small group, see how you could bless this city and just love people in this city. Just keep loving people and blessing people. Um, and you might think, hold on a second, we've painted this big vision, surely we need to do more than that. And I think I would say just, because many of you will carry your own kind of personal vision, things that God's spoken to you about or things that, things even you see in this city and you think, I wish we could do something to bless those people, something to reach people like that, something to reach that community. We might all carry things that kind of God's put in us. I think I would say just stick around and see what happens. Because at the moment, there's not many of us. If we try and do lots of things and get spread really thinly, not a lot will actually happen. So to begin with now, we need to do a few things and do them really well. <laughs> so that's gathering together on a Sunday and meeting midweek as community groups and we're going to do those things and we do those things well and then over time God will add more things to us and we'll grow as we go on a guy called Andy Stanley from the state said in, in the beginning 
the church was a gloriously messy movement with a laser-focused message and a global mission. I think hopefully that describes a little bit what we're like. Sometimes things are a bit messy. <laughs> Sometimes things don't always go quite as we'd want them to do. Sometimes there'll be things, dreams that we're carrying that don't seem to quite fit. But we want to keep, keep, first of all, the message. We want to keep Jesus at the very center of everything we want to believe. And we're going to work out his mission and see what God does. Um, why don't you stand together? Um, Len's going to come and lead us in a song. And then we're going to pray. Um, let me just pray first. God, we, we thank you for, for bringing us all here to the city, Lord, and we know it's not an accident, you know, because you're sovereign and you're in control of everything. So therefore, there's a reason that each of us are here. There's a reason that each of us are here in this room. It's not, we didn't just stumble in here, but you've called each one of us here for a purpose, for a reason, and I firmly believe it's to build your church in this city, God. Not because we want to build some mighty organisation, not because we want to look impressive, but we want to make your name famous in the city, God. Lord, mission exists because worship doesn't. We want to see hundreds, thousands of worshippers raised up in this city. And there are other churches doing that as well, and we bless them and support them. But for what you've uniquely called us to do, we, we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you just light something in our hearts this morning. Lord, light a passion in our ultimately light a passion art for you Jesus it's your message it's your mission we don't want to just be excited and, and just be entrepreneurial and just do lots of big things because it's fun we want, to, we want to serve you Jesus whatever the price whatever the cost whatever the sacrifice we want to serve you in our city Jesus we want to serve you and worship you with everything we do every every moment of taking your message, your gospel, we want it to be about worshipping you, Jesus. Thank you, God.